What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three webheads with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and raindrops keep falling on my head. I'm Keith Baker, and my spider senses are tingling, if you know what I mean. And I'm Austin Terry, and I think Stan Lee is the only good actor in this trilogy. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> Oh, God, this is going to be a good one. On today's show, we'll be starting a lead into a movie that is three months from release, Spider-Man No Way Home. In order to build hype properly, though, we have to go back to where it all began in the live action movie format for our favorite web slinger, the Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. But before we get to that, Austin, what other episode should the audience be aware of? Yeah, we've had some fun weeks on this podcast recently. Um, a few weeks ago, we took a look back in a similar format at the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Uh, then Matt and I got together, and for our gaming show, we talked about 12 Minutes, uh, the new time loop thriller. And then recently, we did a Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings review. And last week, we checked in on the first five episodes of What If, the new Marvel anthology animated show. So we've got tons of great content out there right now. If any of those pique your interest, be sure to go back and check those out. Hell yeah, tons of good episodes in there. What if, in particular, we had a really good time? Some new Spider-Man content in there as well, so it's making me think, guys. For the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, is there a what if that we would like to see? What if we used practical effects? <laughs> <laughs> what if we found something interesting for Mary Jane to do? <laughs> what if James Franco wasn't wearing lip gloss for all three films? <laughs> <laughs> what if we didn't have actors in their early 30s pretending to be high school seniors? Ooh, that's Ooh, good. That, yeah, that one's fair. That one's fair. You know, the weird part about that is I feel like James Franco looks pretty good throughout. Tobey Maguire's pushing it at 26. But the weirdest part is like the, the main three should be our oldest looking people, right? Why is it that they cast extras, Joe Manganiello, that that look even older, like 35. <laughs> it was insane. It is also funny that in Spider-Man 3, when they're supposed to be in college, there's still students like shooting spitballs at Peter Parker. That was ridiculous. He's still getting bullied. This is like a high-level science class. Yeah. <laughs> what if Peter Parker never got the uh, uh, the Venom whatever goo off of him? What if he would have stayed? A punk rocker? A punk rocker. Golly, can you imagine having to watch his bangs be in his eyes for more films after this one? That could have been incredible. I don't know what they were thinking with that character design. That was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> Would he have reconciled with Gwen Stacy, Bryce Dallas Howard, which I forgot was in this movie? Mm -hmm. I did too. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Tons of good stuff. But with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic for today's show. Like we said at the top, we're looking forward to Tom Holland's next entry in the MCU Spider-Man franchise. Since that movie is going to feature some faces from past Spider-Man films, we felt it was the perfect time for a nostalgia-filled franchise discussion. If you're more of an Andrew Garfield or Tom Holland fan, no need to fear, we will get to those as we get closer to the release of No Way Home. Today is all about our favorite writer of Seabiscuit, Tobey Maguire. In 2002, the first film burst onto the scene, shattering several box office records for its opening day, weekend, and second weekend. 
While Marvel properties like Blade were already out and the first X-Men film came out the previous year, the success of the first Spider-Man, its heart, commitment to comic book tone, character dynamics, balance of comedy and drama, and the fact that Kevin Feige worked on all three, makes this the precursor and setup not only for the Marvel Cinematic Universe that started six years later, but also many superhero movies in general. It made people and creators realize that these superhero films could be profitable while also changing the genre up. The first two are universal critical successes, while the third was not, despite still shattering box office records. So, my friends, like we talked about with the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise recently, it has been nearly 20 years since this franchise kicked off, and I'm very curious to see if we think that time has been kind. So, Austin and Keith, give me your brief history with, as well as your general thoughts on the Raimi McGuire Spider-Man trilogy as a whole, before we get into more detail in just a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, I saw all three of these movies in theaters when they came out. I thought all these movies were awesome at the time. I mean, I guess they were like the first superhero movies I really saw. I'm trying to think of any others that came out in the early 2000s that we may have X-Men, seen. X-Men, like we mentioned, yeah. Blade. And then like over a decade earlier, you had stuff like the Tim Burton Batman movies, Superman, Christopher Reeve, but it was definitely not very prevalent. They're not a lot of yeah. them. Yeah. Wasn't the Angley Hulk around this time? It, that, that was 2003. Oh, yes. So that was after yeah, the, the first one Eric Bana Hulk was probably, uh, probably one of the first ones. And then, uh, yeah, then these came out. And yeah, I thought they were awesome when they first came out. And that's not to say that I don't think there some there's still some awesome things about them nowadays, but after not watching them for probably close to seven, eight years, definitely some things I'm like, whoa, I cannot believe I thought this was cool back in 2002 <laughs> or <Yeah>. 2004. <laughs> it's, it's pretty pretty amazing what they put in here where I was like, I don't remember any of this going on for so long as it did. And we'll get into what I'm talking about later on, but uh, I still think there's some good qualities to them, and I definitely fit their time period, I guess, when they came out, and I think they did the best they could with what they had, but um, definitely weaker compared to some of the newer superhero movies that are out nowadays. Yeah, similarly to Keith, I saw all these in theaters as well, and that was the last time I had seen them, so I hadn't seen any of these films since they were in theaters, and just like Keith, I was like, this is the coolest shit I have ever seen on screen. I thought they were awesome, all three of them, and... What I'm struggling with this week is I would say time has definitely not been kind to these movies. I don't think the effects or even some of the storylines they chose to tell have aged very well, especially watching in 2021 today. But what I'm struggling with is I'm not sure if I just didn't like these movies because they haven't aged very well or if I think they're actually bad movies. And I don't know where to go with that. Um, I think two is, of course, the standout. I think that's also the most universally praised movie of the trilogy. And the thing that's really hard for me is we are just coming off of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and all those movies still look fantastic today. So I, I think the fact that we just went through all those, and they look great, and they held up well, is really detracting from my enjoyment on this rewatch of the Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with any of that. Certainly, if I was going to ask myself the same question, do these hold up, or are they just bad? I, I definitely don't think any of these movies are bad. Spider-Man 3 is definitely the worst. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I actually do feel like Spider-Man 1 and 2 hold up pretty well, and I think a large part of that is, sure, while the effects are certainly don't look great by today's standards, the CG, same thing, I do feel like the commitment to the like golden age era of comic book tone, since it's so consistent, I can appreciate it, and even though it's different from anything we see today, I still think it holds up because they committed for the time. 
of course, I still have some issues with all three movies, but for the most part, those first two really do still work for me because it just feels like what they were going for, they nailed it. Not only at the time, but I can still appreciate it now. Um, yeah, I do think there are tons of better superhero movies now. I think Austin smartly you know, brings up Pirates of the Caribbean since we just talked about that. Those movies effect-wise look infinitely better. They utilize practical effects more. I do think when it gets to two and three of that franchise, uh, the story beats and character stuff gets infinitely worse. I do think you can make a similar argument here, especially with Spider-Man 3 and some weird stuff in the first two movies as well. So kind of a similar trajectory as well. But I'm really excited to talk about it because I really was afraid to watch this trilogy because it's. I saw them in the theaters as well. I watched them like on repeat countless times as a kid. The first one was my first PG-13 movie. I thought it was the coolest shit in the world. I was like, I'm an adult now. Uh, the Spider-Man 2 video well, game. Well, hold on. Oh. Well, hold on, hold on. What? You told us that Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl was your first PG-13 movie. So I went back and it turns out Spider-Man 1 was my first because I rented it from Blockbuster in, the same, in 2003 because this movie came out in 2002. I didn't see it in theaters. Rented it from Blockbuster, and then very soon after, when Pirates came out that year, we saw that in theaters, and that was my first PG-13 in theaters. So okay, I think that's the timeline there. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was my first video game that was T-rated. Had to really convince my mom to go for that. She was not happy about it, but we made it, guys. <laughs> we made it. Um, anyway, I know I'm rambling here. We're going to get into more detail later. I love these movies. Definitely full of problems, but I was shocked that they held up for movies. I really didn't think they would. Yeah, I um, I think one was actually my least favorite this time around. Okay, I want we're gonna get into that too because I, I I am not surprised to hear that. Uh, I didn't tell Keith that when we talked the other night, but I I thought that you would think that, and I can't fault it because three is much more modern, but one does have a lot of problems. <laughs> and I think I think the thing is like I just really don't like this era of superhero movies where it's like we're gonna we're gonna do our superhero story but wait it's got to be real we can't do like the fun comic book stuff and i think our more modern movies have gotten better about like we're just gonna lead into the bizarre world that is comic books and we're gonna make them fun we're gonna lean into really like crazy villains and all that like i, I like what we're doing now as opposed to what we were doing in the early 2000s late 90s so what are you talking about specifically i mean obviously i agree with you that Comic book movies now have fully leaned into the genre. Like, it's a very standalone genre now that can go bonkers. You can introduce crazy characters and it feels cool and fun and exciting. But when you're saying that this movie, the original, didn't do that, I want to, what, like, what are some examples? Like, what are some things that you felt let down by? I think the biggest thing is that they chose, and we'll talk about this later, but they chose to spend 80% of the movie on Peter Parker and okay. then, like, you get Spider Man at the end. And I wish it was mm -hmm. more of an even split there. I think that's the biggest thing I can say right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I can. That's kind of what I was going into earlier. Uh, I, yeah, I think there's way too much of build up with him and Mary Jane, where I'm, we're to the point where I was like, whoa, I don't remember all this lovey dubby, like crazy high school romance stuff. <laughs> I didn't remember. Right. I don't. I don't remember that at all. And it's every movie too. Yeah. Every movie yeah. we got to do Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Yeah, that was a little much for me <laughs> throughout the whole trilogy. I think. We got too, a little bit too in detail with their love story and all that to the point where, yeah, it kind of did take away from the Spider-Man part of it. So, yeah, that's, I kind of stand with you there, Austin. All right, guys. Well, it's time to get into more detail. We're going to break down the cast and crew, do some fun segments. But before we get into that, 
I just stepped into a big container for some green CGI gas to overtake me, so I'm not going to remember anything I'm saying right now. I may or may not kill Austin and Keith and forget about it later. Somebody's going to take my glider, guys. So here I go. <laughs> and then we're going to make it hip and cool. It's going to be a skateboard. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into some details here. So first and foremost, we've got to do our casting crew. Austin, how about you hit me with the crew side? Yeah, so our director for the entire trilogy is Sam Raimi. Uh, you may know him from his horror works like the Evil Dead trilogy, Dark Man, Drag Me to Hell, Oz the Great and Powerful, and he will be returning for his first entry to the MCU with the upcoming Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Our writers is David Kep for the first movie, then Alvin Sargent for Spider-Man 2, and later we have Alvin Sargent, Sam Raimi, and Ivan Raimi uh, for Spider-Man 3. And our movie score was composed by Danny Elfman for Spider-Man 1 and 2, and then Christopher Young in the third. Um, Elfman is known for his work with Tim Burton, of course, including the Batman movies, and he has worked with Sam Raimi, I think, for like 15 movies or something like that. Not 15 movies, 15 years. Um, and he will also be returning to the superhero genre with Raimi's Doctor Strange as well. And of course, based on characters by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, starting in the early 1960s. The cast, we have Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. James Franco as Harry Osborn. Rosemary Harris as Aunt May. Bill Nunn, Ted Raimi. Elizabeth Banks, uh, they round out the da Daily Bugle crew. Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Dylan Baker as Kurt Connors. Thomas Hayden Church as Flint Marco a.k.a. Sandman, Topher Grace as Eddie Brock, a.k.a. Venom, Bryce Dallas Howard as Gwen Stacy, Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, a.k.a. Green Goblin, and J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. All right, guys. Lots of exciting stuff here. Let's do some highlights, positive or negative. Let's try and limit it to one, but if you have something you absolutely have to say, go for it. Okay. Um... I have one positive, and that's Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. Okay. I think she gives the most consistently good performance throughout all three movies. Unfortunately, they literally have nothing interesting for Mary Jane to do in these movies. I don't know what they were thinking with this character, but mm. Kirsten Dunst, I think, is great in the role. And my negative, I know you guys are going to yeah. take umbrage with this. I know, I know you're not going to like it. We never do it. Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker. What are they doing here? Why does he have to look into the camera and just smile every two minutes with that goofy, like, puffy face? I just, he was so hard to root for in all three movies for me. All right, Keith, what oh, about you? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I do want to shout out the score, and I didn't notice yes. this until, um, yeah, I didn't know it was the same guy from Men in Black until I was kind of like, whoa, that sounds a lot like Men in Black. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And I went and checked to see, and I didn't know uh, Danny Effman did, did all those movies as well. Uh, so shout out to the score. I thought it was pretty good. Um, as far as the acting goes, I think you guys are, might be surprised that I shout out is Rosemary Harris as Aunt yes, May. Yes, good call. I really like her performance in all three of these movies. Aunt May and Uncle Ben are pretty bad in Spider-Man 1, though. You think Aunt May is bad? Not the acting, not the acting. The writing for the characters, it feels oh, like sure. it's for like a 50s sitcom. Mm. Yeah, that definitely stank of we want these to feel like the Aunt May Uncle Ben we created in the 50s and 60s. So that, yeah, at times a little bit jarring, but I think I am with you, Keith, the performance I really enjoyed. There was definitely some cheesy lines with Uncle Ben in the first one, like, ah, 
teenagers, raging hormones, <laughs> never changes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'll shout out J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Of course, you got to, you got to. All He's of his great. lines are so funny still. They still hold up. <laughs> He's so good. Um, Good, good stuff. Yeah, I think the one I want to shout out from the crew side is, it's it's easy one, but Sam Raimi, I just really appreciate how he brought his style and the way his movies are edited. Like the way his original horror movies kind of like cut very fast and there's tons of different camera angles. I think it's really cool and I like how they brought that here. I think it gives it a really fun look. And then from the cast side, I don't think this is going to be blasphemous. I'm going to, I think, appease Austin here, but only halfway because my favorite performance in this is, of course, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, whatever. But the main one is Tobey Maguire is a positive, but only half a positive. He's my favorite Peter Parker to date by far. I love the awkwardness. Really? I love how hard, yeah, by far. Wow, that's a hot take, I feel like. Part of it is the writing, though. Like, it's not just the performance side. I don't think they did the Andrew Garfield. The Andrew Garfield Peter Parker is garbage. And the Tom Holland one, I think, is really good. It's just different because it's more of a high school thing. It's younger. There's less on its plate. I love how the world is just constantly crashing down on Peter's shoulders. He has so much to handle. He barely does. At times, he doesn't. I think it's really cool. And I think Tobey Maguire's performance... While very campy, goofy, and awkward at times, I think it works. The negative, though, is his Spider-Man is really bad. I love the design of the suit. It's awesome. I love how they didn't just make black lines. They actually made it, like, webbed, so it's kind of 3D. I think it looks really cool. But the fact that he reads every line as Spider-Man, even, like, the witty, quippy lines, as just monotone, he sounds the exact same as he does as Peter, I think is really stupid, and it was just a bad choice. I don't know if that was him or Sam Raimi. I'm not sure whose choice that was, but they didn't really fix it throughout three movies, and it's really bad. The only moment where he feels like a an alter ego as Spider-Man and, like, actually feels like Spider-Man is when they're at the ceremony in three yeah. And Gwen Stacy kisses him. He's like, mm-hmm. lay it on me. They'll love it. Like, he actually doesn't yeah. feel like Tobey Maguire in that scene. I uh, completely I agree. agree. And that's not a hot take. I think a lot of people like Tobey's Peter, but they don't like his Spider-Man. And I definitely, re-watching this time, I was like, yeah, his Spider-Man's pretty weak. I don't love it. I like the action. I like the swinging. But the actual, like, dialogue in that is, like, it does not hold up. I do have two standout lines from Tobey Maguire, though, that I got to read for you guys. I wrote Ooh. them down. Nice. I cried like a baby when you played Cinderella. (laughs) I was in first grade, Peter. I had to beat an old lady with a stick to get these cranberries. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There is so many good lines. And not good, like, good. (laughs) There are so many good, bad lines. I protected you in high school. Now I'm going to beat your little ass. (laughs) Did they they retcon him and Harry's relationship? two in two and three because in one isn't the setup that harry like just got to school and they like were just in the process of becoming friends keith and i were talking about that the other night it seems weird it feels like harry just switched from a private school to high school like public high school Mm. peter has never met his dad for some reason and then in two and three it's like i protected you throughout high school like remember when we shot hoops in the back like it's very confusing how long they've known each other they never say it like outright (laughs) all right Well, speaking of casting, my friends, we do like doing these franchise discussions because it allows us to talk about who almost got cast. And based on Austin, 
you know, you didn't love Toby, so you might like these other choices. And Keith, since you are a bit more of a Toby fan, we'll see what you think. I also brought in who they almost cast as Norman Osborn and, of course, Mary Jane Watson. So let's get into it. So for our titular hero, the studio expressed interest in Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes or no? No. That's a no for me. Too good looking, too. All right. But what about Freddie Prinze Jr.? No, Freddie Prince is too much of a pretty boy, too. Pretty I don't think boy. Known for like 90s sitcoms. He was like, he was Fred in the Scooby-Doo movies. That's a big no for me, too. All right. This next one, I think, would have been a great actor personally, but he was even older than Tobey Maguire at the time. Jude Law. Ooh. I, I would like to see him as a villain, not as Spider-Man. He probably would have been a good Peter Parker, like nerdier kind of guy, but yeah, too old, though. Yeah, we have tons of other people, but they're kind of smaller actors. So I'm going to skip to the main one, the main event. Did Matthew McConaughey almost get cast? No. <laughs> he, at this time in his career, he's almost cast as everybody, it seems well, like. Well, this next person we have also talked about in contention for other roles. They were in another popular superhero movie, and I think they would have been at the right age, probably would have fit the bill. I think it could have given a great performance, and that is, of course, my friends, Heath Ledger. Yeah, I could see that. I wouldn't mind that. Honestly, these probably would have been better movies with Heath Ledger. He's, <laughs> I mean, I think like hands down, he's a better actor than Tobey Maguire. I agree. I yeah, agree. probably a better actor. So then to close that out, maybe the biggest no for me, and I can't even believe this is true, because he looks 45 in this film, Joe Manganiello auditioned for Peter Parker. Oh, gosh. No. Nope. That would have been awful. Yeah, he's too big. <laughs> he's like six foot five. But- we kind of referenced it earlier, so I want to get the official declaration right now, because as everybody, multiple sources have noted, James Franco came very, very close to playing Peter Parker, but Sam Raimi and crew were a fan of him, so he ended up getting Harry Osborn instead. Do you think that James Franco would have been a better Peter? At least better than Toby, do you think? I think he would have been a better Spider-Man. Yeah. I think I might agree with that. I think yeah, I agree Not a better that. Peter. Tobey Maguire plays the perfect awkward guy. With how campy he is as Harry, I feel like it would have been kind of similar. Like his Peter, I bet probably would have been similar to Toby. Okay. Every time I say his Peter, I feel like I'm using a euphemism for his penis. His Peter. <laughs> his Peter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's jump over to the Mary Jane Watson side of things. So Kate Bosworth. She probably would have been okay. I actually think a lot of the people they auditioned here would have been good. Um, Eliza Dushku, known for a lot of... Oh, that's a yes for me. Yeah. Child star, still famous today. I think that would have been great. Eliza Dushku also voiced She-Hulk in the animated Spider-Man series. Oh, that's cool. In 2015. Um, Elizabeth Banks auditioned for the role, but she was told that she was too old and was cast as Betty Brant instead. And I'm like... That's a shame. Was she too she's old? She's so underused, too. <laughs> she looks exact same age. <laughs> she would have been good as Gwen Stacy, too. Yeah, she would have been good as yeah. any of them. I really yeah. liked her in this, and I wish we could have gotten more. And then the biggest star at the time, and probably still the biggest star now, uh, she was offered, but actually turned it down, Kate Hudson. Ooh, that could have been good, too. I would have yeah. liked that. Yeah, all, I think all of those are a yes for me. Coming yeah. off almost famous. Yeah, that would have been really good. All right, guys. And of course, we have to talk about who did we almost get as not Goblin Jr. going to cry, but as... Goblin Senior, you might say. Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Let's get it let's get it out of there right off the bat because we've talked about this guy in every fucking superhero movie we've ever done. And yes, Nicolas Cage was offered the role. 
<laughs> oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for me to get a yes. I think for me because I I really do think Willem Dafoe is great in Spider Man One. I do think um, Nicholas Cage could have given a similar performance. I don't think it would have been better. I think he could have done the more like chill Norman than obviously crazy Green Goblin. But I think I prefer Willem. Um, we also had Jason Isaacs, John Malkovich, a little bit older, hmm. Bill Paxton, Brad Dorif, Robert De Niro, Mel Gibson, John Travolta, and weirdly, Jim Carrey. They were all considered and or offered the role. Jim Carrey also almost offered Jack Sparrow, too. Oh, that's right. I think Bill Paxton would have been good. Funnily enough, uh, John Paxton, his father, played um, Bernard. The butler. De Niro, I bet, could have played like the New York socialite, like elitist uh, part of the Norman Osmond character really well, I bet. Yeah. And the last one I got for you guys, this is kind of a weird one, a weird story, but Sam Raimi, we talked about Almost Famous a second ago with Kate Hudson, Sam Raimi actually had somebody in mind to play the part. Willem Dafoe was never even considered for the role. The person he wanted to play him was... One of my favorites, Billy Crudup from Almost Famous, Ooh. Austin, you love him in the morning show. He was in Justice League. So I think that could have been good, but obviously he was very young at the time. So it makes me wonder if Harry Osborne would have been the same age. Like that could have been kind of weird. Yeah, maybe we get a, a young D.H. James Franco playing 12-year-old Harry Osborne. Oh, there you go. He's in junior high. I really look up to my friend Peter Parker. He's a senior. <laughs> all right guys we talked about the casting so now it's time to move on to any fun facts production nightmares i was pleasantly surprised with some of the stuff i found so i'm curious if you guys feel the same way i'm going to kick us off with spider-man one in 1993 james cameron of course coming off the terminator films aliens he would later do Titanic, Avatar, of course. He was hired to rewrite an existing draft for Spider-Man for Carolco Pictures. The script was going to feature Liz Allen as Peter Parker's love interest instead of Mary Jane Watson, and the villain was Doc Ock. During an accident, Octavius turns into Professor Ock, as they called him, <laughs> when, I shit you not, he is bitten in the back of the neck by the same radioactive spider that turns Peter into Spider-Man. <laughs> Wow. Um, and this next sentence, I promise you, is real. This is a real thing. Ock had an assistant named Wiener that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that later kills Peter's Uncle Ben <laughs> instead of a burglar uh, that Spider-Man lets escape. I don't know how that was even a real thing. Of course, <laughs> frequent James Cameron star Arnold Schwarzenegger was his first choice for Doc Ock, which I'm sure would have been ridiculous and fine. <laughs> and Edward Furlong, John Connor from T2 was considered for Peter Parker, which at the time I could definitely see that. I got to stop playing with my Peter and go after Wiener. <laughs> I'm going to get you, Peter Parker. I'm going, going to, to get, get you. <laughs> Wiener, go get him, Wiener. I'm, I'm an octopus. <laughs> This is Marvel going, fuck, Tim Burton's Batmans are really good. We got to compete. Yeah, we have to. Uh, a few years later, Cameron actually wrote a new draft that featured Peter Parker as a high school senior instead, who was in love with Mary Jane Watson, and Spider-Man would fight two villains, Electro and Sandman. In this version, the spider bite gave Peter organic web shooters in his wrists, obviously something Sam Raimi brought over. 
Um, the script was much less family friendly, though, containing R-rated profanity and even a sex scene between Peter and Mary Jane on the Brooklyn Bridge. But it had the blessing, weirdly enough, of Spider-Man creator Stan Lee. However, the director could not make a Spider-Man movie when it turned out that Carolico Pictures never had the sole movie adaptation rights. Carolico went bankrupt soon afterwards, leading to a long battle over the legal rights that caused the project to go into limbo for several years. When Sony finally got the rights, the screenplay was heavily re-edited by several authors, and only David Kep was credited. Cameron later commented that his lack of acknowledgement made him feel slighted, but not injured. <laughs> it's like <laughs> such a James, Cam James Cameron bullshit. And then my last couple for you guys here, Hugh Jackman revealed that he was supposed to have a brief cameo as Wolverine. I saw this. Um, he actually showed up in New York to film the scene, and the only reason they did not do it is because the crew could not get access to the Wolverine costume from the first X-Men film. It's funny, sp speaking of actors just showing up on set too, uh, Willem Dafoe was not supposed to appear in Spider-Man 2, but one day he was just walking home through New York and like passed the crew that was filming and stopped by to say hi. And they're like, hey, let's do a scene. So he just happened to show up that day and they put him in the movie. He just walked by them and whispered in all their ears, avenge me. And then, of course, uh, a bit more of a serious note, but I still thought was interesting. Uh, the movie was heavily re-edited, uh, particularly the trailers after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, Sony had to recall teaser posters, which featured a close-up of Spider-Man's face, and then in his uh, eyes, you could see reflections of the Twin Towers. Like I mentioned, the original teaser, which didn't include movie footage, followed Spider-Man chasing down some bad guys and actually webbing uh, their helicopter in between the Twin Towers. So tons of re-editing had to be done. They had to go back through the entire film and actually take out some scenes of like the Twin Towers in the background. They had to take out some of the reflections in his eyes. If you look closely at sometimes in the film, you can still see it, but still thought that was interesting. Definitely the movie had to be kind of uh, taken into a new context and re-edited with a lot of that. And it turns out that a lot of like the patriotism you see at the end with like New Yorkers throwing shit at Goblin, like tons of the American flags were actually put into that first Spider-Man movie as a sign of like that newfound uh, patriotism that came right after 9-11. So I thought that was interesting. And those posters that have the Twin Towers um, on them are actually, a few of them still exist and they're like heavily sought after collector items too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Spider-Man 1. Who wants to hit me with Spider-Man 2? All right, Spider-Man 2, we've got some drama. No! Uh, one set of drama revolves around Tobey Maguire. So he actually had a back injury from filming Seabiscuit, and there was fear he would not be able to reprise his role. Uh, the studio thought that Tobey Maguire was using the injury to get more money to return for Spider-Man 2, so they began conversations with Jake Gyllenhaal to replace him. Whoa. So that's that's a really interesting story because I saw that like he broke his back while filming Seabiscuit, which obviously like, holy shit, that's scary. But then also I did do the same thing, which is he actually got fired because he was faking the injury. He only got paid three million for the first Spider-Man and then he wanted 17. <laughs> so a very big jump. He wanted the downy treatment. Yeah. And it. It's weird. It's like, I don't know which side is true. There's been some people that said he had to apologize to like Sony and Sam Raimi in order to keep his job. But I don't even know if that's true. Or maybe he did break his back. I'm not sure. But Jake Gyllenhaal, regardless, that would have been pretty good. We got him in Far From Home as Mysterio, but I would have liked him as Peter Parker. A Jake Gyllenhaal Spider-Man would be awesome. That I would think. have been infinitely better, I feel like. I think he could have been a very awkward Peter Parker, a la Donnie Darko or like October Sky. But he definitely has that kind of 
witty. He could change his voice. I feel like that would have been really awesome. So we've got a bit more drama to talk about, too. No! Danny Elfman and Sam Raimi had a massive falling out during Spider-Man 2 with Elfman saying, quote, Sam Raimi went from right there, number two on my list of favorite directors to the exact opposite of what I look for in a film experience. Everything I could do on Spider-Man 1, I could not do on Spider-Man 2. He got so intensely attached to the music that I couldn't even adapt my own music close enough. It's the first time I've ever walked from a director in 20 years. I would rather go back to waiting tables than do Spider-Man 2 again. Holy (laughs) shit. Because I was going to ask, why did Danny Elfman not come back for Spider-Man 3? He refused. He flat out refused. And the guy they got, Christopher Young, I guess while they were making Spider-Man 2, uh, Sam Raimi kept saying, do this, do this. And he kept bringing up examples of Christopher Young scores from other movies. And I guess Uh, one day Danny Elfman was like, well, fucking hire Christopher Young then and just like walked out. (laughs) So did you see anything about what made them reconcile? Because obviously they've worked together since then and they're going to do Doctor Strange together next year. Did they like become friends again? Yeah, so for years, Danny Elfman said, like, even in, like, 2012, I was reading articles where he was like, I will not work with Sam Raimi still. But I can't find out exactly why they reconciled, but clearly something happened, because you're right, he is returning. And he also scored um, the Oz movie, too, that Sam Raimi did. So they have reconciled, but for, like, 10 years, uh, they were not getting along. Well, good for them. Glad they kind of figured it out. Yeah. That's cool. I've got another quick one here. Um, Matt, I know you love the swinging, especially in Spider-Man 2 that they filmed. I do. They filmed that swinging by using a prominent rig that's actually called the Spider-Cam, and that's Spider-SPY. It's a computer-operated cable-suspended camera system that the crew can use for, like, multidimensional aerial movement, and it actually wasn't created for the movie. It's been around from the 90s and just happens to be called the Spider-Cam. The crew nicknamed it Spidey-Cam, and they would actually, like, rig it up and drop it like 50 stories to oh, film that's really cool. that swinging while they were in New York. And it's been used in other, it's been used in a ton of other big budget films, um, including Batman and Robin, Elf, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Game of Thrones, and The Suicide Squad, to name a few. Huh. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the swinging takes a really big leap in just a cool factor from Spider-Man 1 to 2, and then 3, obviously. Sure, like the CG, like city, whenever it's happening in the background, it still looks cool. It doesn't look as good, but the swinging is definitely impressive. And you can, you telling me that's how they did it with that kind of camera does make sense. I just, yeah, I think it looks so cool. Even today, I love the swinging. To give the audience context too, that camera rig is also what's used in like Monday Night Football when you get those panning shots of the football field. Um, It's like that similar cable system. Okay, that makes sense. So Keith... You did Spider-Man 3. Any interesting stuff there? So Sam Raimi was, you know, really unhappy with how the third one turned out. And he had hoped that the planned fourth film would have redeemed it. And it was also considered that at one point they were going to split this movie up into two films. I also saw that there was like a ton cut out of Spider-Man 3. So maybe there's a Raimi cut out there somewhere. Maybe. Well, it sounds like there's a lot that Raimi wanted to cut out of this version, too. So, Keith, that's probably what you have uh, some stuff on. He did not want to include Venom in this movie because he wasn't a fan of the character. Uh, But Sony uh, pushed him to include Venom as as sort of like a fan service sort of thing. But... Turns out the fans didn't like this this Venom that he did. (laughs) Literally (laughs) terrible. (laughs) According to James Franco, they had to go back and do some reshoots just prior to the release because... Test audiences felt that there was not enough action in the film. I agree with that. I think I'd agree with that too. There's not, in all three of these movies, there's not enough Spider Man stuff. It's all focused on Peter Parker. Yeah. And most of the Spider Man stuff is just montages. 
Like, it's not like, a lot of like it. we don't get like Spidey's on the case and figuring it out. It's like, oh no, something happens. Then we cut back to Peter Parker still trying to impress Mary Jane. Right. That is true. That is true. This one was reportedly the most expensive film ever made in U.S. dollars with a greenlit budget of $250 million. Um, however, with the ground-up development of the CGI, the cost of shooting on location in New York was reportedly $1 million per day. And reshoots, which ran over production schedule, added an additional eight months to shooting. Jesus. <laughs> ended up the final tab. The final, the final tab ended up being... Uh, like three hundred fifty million or more. Uh, they're estimating. Oh my God. Uh, Mary Jane's screams in this movie were all recycled screams from the first uh two Spider-Mans. What she, were they thinking? They didn't do that. any audio screaming. scream. We've been talking a lot about our feelings on this film, so we should probably talk about at least what the critics thought at the time. So the original Spider-Man trilogy has grossed two point five billion dollars against a total budget of roughly six hundred and forty million. It has been nominated for five Oscars, eventually winning one for Best Visual Effects for Spider-Man 2 in 2005. And yes, don't ask me again, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst blew Orlando Bloom and Kieran Knightley out of the park by winning the coveted, coveted MTV Movie Award Best Kiss for their upside-down rainy evening smooch in the first film, as they should have. And yes, if you're wondering, I did read that Tobey Maguire had a very hard time filming that scene because since it was upside down and raining, his sinuses would get completely filled and he was having <laughs> to make out with Kirsten Dunst at the same time. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the movies fluctuate with each entry, starting at 90% with the original, then jumping to 93% for two and eventually dropping down to barely fresh at 63% for the final one. The critical consensus was the movies brought back the superhero genre to the forefront while telling down-to-earth stories contained within a larger comic book world. The positive reviews consistently called out the performances, particularly Tobey Maguire and J.K. Simmons. Um, they liked the human stories, special effects, levity, and villain complexity, with most agreeing that Alfred Molina's portrayal of Doc Ock to be one of the best comic book villains of all times. That's not true. Um, at the time, the focus... to be fair, at the time. <laughs> Matt, similar to you, they like the focus of how much Peter Parker has on his plate while balancing being Spider-Man and trying to live his normal life. Um, and then they also like that consequences of actions is a theme explored deeply throughout all three entries. The fact that characters and their complexities were the focus, even to some extent in the third film, was also praised. The negative reviews primarily focuses on sometimes weak resolutions in the action sequences, Green Goblin armor design. Terrible. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. And Spider-Man 3's character and villain choices in general. Uh, 3 felt like it had too many storylines and villains to juggle for one film. At times, it enters soap opera territory. Yep, I agree there. With the betrayals, love triangles, amnesia, etc., etc. Some of these elements were also no noted as negatives in earlier films, just to a lesser extent. All right, guys. So does anything stand out with the positive reviews or the negative? Anything you agree with or disagree with? The biggest thing I disagree with is the universal praise from Tobey Maguire's performance. I don't think he's good in these movies. It feels like he's they have like a, a board up behind the camera and he's just reading his lines. Like it's so monotone and like his emotion never fluctuates no matter what's happening on screen. Tobey Maguire has <laughs> some of the best ugly crying faces ever. Don't say he doesn't show any emotion. <laughs> yeah, he is ugly when he's crying. I do kind of like those scenes though. I do like that... 
like the infamous meme of him ugly crying at Uncle Ben's death in Spider-Man 2 when he's saving the train and he look his face is insane. But honestly, I know it's <laughs> ridiculous to say, that's how anybody would look if you're like watching your uncle die right in front of you or it's like the most pain you've ever felt. So I think that's cool. It's tough because like I said earlier, I disagree with Austin. I really like the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker, but his Spider-Man is terrible. So it's like... I agree with that side of what Austin's saying, but I do appreciate the Peter. So anybody calling that out and the fact that we get way more of Peter in these movies, I guess I can understand what the critics are coming from, but I can't co-sign a good Spider-Man <laughs> from this movie. <laughs> and and Alfred Molina um, as Doc Ock, he's good. But my biggest issue with Spider-Man 2 is that Octavius and Peter Parker do not have a relationship. But at the end of the movie, Peter acts like it's the hardest thing he's ever had to do. And they've had one scene together with like neither one of them in costume. Yeah, it's funny. I actually, I liked that. I liked that change because the first movie is supposed to be about, oh, I'm trying to be Spider-Man and my best friend's dad is my greatest villain. Like that's what they did in that one. I liked that Spider-Man 2, we got a little bit more time of Ock trying to be a normal guy before he turned bad. That's my favorite part about Doc Ock in comics and in anything is he's not bad. It's just like, these arms taking him over, I think, is really fascinating. And yeah, I didn't really feel it at the end it was like the hardest thing ever. I just thought it was another thing he had to do, which I thought was cool. But I definitely don't agree that Doc Ock is the greatest villain of all time. I think at the time, sure, but we've gotten tons of better villains since then. Like Doomsday. Yeah, like Doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into just our general discussion here. We each have brought some random opinions, some random thoughts. It sounds like the three of us have varying degrees of positive and negative opinions on these films. So we're just going to open it up. We'll bring up whatever we want. What do we want to talk about? Let's get into the fact that we are watching these movies in 2021 because, man, these effects are bad. <laughs> like... They are. They are. Um, I do think there's a lot to like. When it comes to the effects side, I, I do, again, like I said earlier, I do like the swinging. I do like some of the cuts Sam Raimi makes, like whenever it comes to characters fighting. I think of like the Brooklyn Bridge sequence in the first one, whenever he gets punched, he goes to slow motion. He's swinging to grab the cable. Like there That's are a good sequence. Yeah, there are some highlights throughout, but it's like, it's just one of those things where the positives are super high, but then everything else is super low in terms of quality. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to watch these movies now, for sure. But let's go back to the Pirates Caribbean point you made, Austin. So, are, I know these movies, obviously the CGI is bad now, watching it in 2021, but do you think if we were going to back going back in to watch these movies in 2002, 2004, whatever, at our age now, do we think would we think the CGI is bad? Or oh, was no. that good for that time? Oh, I, they, no, I think I they think, were great I, I mean, at the time, time yeah. At the time, this was like one of the best to ever be put to screen, mm -hmm. and they spent a ton of money on it too. I think just technology has advanced so far, um, and there's not a lot of practical effects in these movies, and I think that has yeah. really hurt it in terms of aging. It's weird because there are a lot of practical effects. It's just the problem is a lot of the practical stuff is happening on a green screen, and like the stuff they put on the green screen looks terrible. Like 
I read that Willem Dafoe did 95% of his own stunts. He learned to actually ride the glider. He was actually wearing this crazy, intricate armor that took hours to put on. So did Tobey Maguire. Yeah, yeah. They're actually doing that. It's just the problem is the sequences are against the backdrop of like a really bad looking city by today's standards. So it's like, ah, it doesn't hold up. I also think of like the legendary uh, visual effects designer, John Dykstra, who worked on this one. He also did the original Star Wars movies. And he told Sam Raimi, we should do this stuff in computers because like what you're asking is too hard. So like, again, you think of the pirate stuff, which is way more practical. This wasn't. And it kind of shows. And it's unfortunate because you get these really weird, random, cool sequences of like practical like the most infamous example is in the first spider-man they put super glue on toby mcguire's hand and they did 156 takes of him catching every single thing on that tray when he catches mj in the cafeteria toby mcguire actually caught every single thing of like the food and the drink as it falls down that really happened and you can tell because it looks real but everything else doesn't, so it's just <laughs> kind of goofy. You know, it's weird that they like focused on some things and not others. The one that really stood out to me as just looking like dog shit is Spider-Man Three when James Franco was chasing Peter on the hoverboard. Oh, yeah. Do you think James Franco really learned to ride the hoverboard like his no. father Willem Dafoe? <laughs> no way. <laughs> he did fly, boys. He was like tired of being in the air. <laughs> <laughs> For you guys did watching this in 2021 with the effects not looking great, did that take away from the viewing experience for you guys? Because for me, it did. For me, that it really wasn't enjoyable with how bad some of these movies look today. I wouldn't say it took away too much. I think I kind of went into it went into it expecting it to not be as good as it was. There were some moments where I'm like, oh, jeez, like, that looks terrible. <laughs> like the helicopters at the end of Sp- Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Like, th- Did they even think that looked like real? Because that did, it looked like it looked two bad. plastic helicopter toys flying between the building what about mary jane swinging while clearly holding on to a spider-man mannequin yeah Not that's a good one too <laughs> but i guess i didn't really take away from it too much i just kind of put it aside yeah i think i'm with keith definitely all of those moments were negatives in my mind and they took away from the overall experience but again i kind of referenced it earlier When it comes to watching this in 2021, I still do think a lot of the human stories and just the three movie arc for Peter in general, what he's going through in the first one from high school, then to college and trying to balance everything, including being Spider-Man full time now. And then in three, which is trying to do the same thing, but also like I need to make sure I'm a bit more of a committed person to Mary Jane. So that's more time. I think all of those human stories was super interesting. And a lot of that still held up for me. The action certainly didn't, but I did appreciate kind of his general kind of, I guess, arc or just journey throughout these movies, kind of meeting all these villains, what he has to go through, the jobs he has to take on, of course, you know, just the Daily Bugle being one of them. I thought all that was pretty cool and still held up for me as being kind of a fascinating plot in some cases and then subplot at other times whenever other things like the villains take precedence there are definitely some subplots that they give too much time to though like mary jane and the astronaut it's like how much screen time do we need (laughs) well i would actually weirdly argue that i thought that one didn't get enough screen time it just kind of happens like she just brings it up and then he is watching her outside the play that he misses which I think is a great example of what I'm talking about. He has to stop a crime, then it's late, he can't get in. But then it's like, oh, there's the guy she's dating. They make out. And then later we see, like, okay, I guess she's still in love with Spider-Man. She makes up with him upside down. And then the next scene is 
the gala where he's like, Mary Jane Watson, everybody's agreed to marry me. And it's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like weird. It's so not good. It's just bad. I guess your your example of that working for you of how he's, you know, stopping crime and then has to stop and check on Mary Jane. That's also an example of what like doesn't work to me. Cause in and that at that point in Spider-Man 2, it's really our that sequence is our first time where it's like, oh right, Spidey's back. We're swinging around the city. It's like, hold on, I gotta stop and go to Mary Jane's play first. It's like, ugh, like I like Kirsten Dunst. I like the Mary Jane character. It, it's basically back to my biggest critique is just that there's not enough Spider-Man in these movies. And it's weird for me because I think that's the point. Because I really like that every single person, this is just so Spider-Man to his core for me. Everybody in New York loves Spider-Man. It's like he's everybody's hero. He shows up all the time. Like any issue you're ever going to get into, like a car that like a burglar is driving that flips and is about to like crash into you. Like, whoa, slow motion. Oh, what's happening? Oh, a web caught it. And then Spider-Man flies over. Everybody in New York loves Spider-Man. The only people that don't are the people that Spider-Man is really close to. Like, where he actually needs to be and should be, like MJ's play that he promised he would be at, I think, sure, it's a kind of like a high school drama type thing in terms of, like, a movie presenting it, but I do find it really compelling. It's like, he promised he would be there knowing he probably wouldn't be there. Like, something's going to happen and he can't do it, and I like that everybody loves him except everybody closest to him, and he has to come up with excuses for everybody like Aunt May and MJ. So, sure, while I agree that MJ isn't given, like, anything super interesting to do throughout the trilogy, I do like how Peter tries to balance it. And then the moment that, like, she looks at him in the finale, I do think it's just this, like, huge weight off of everybody's shoulders. Like, Kirsten Dunst's performance in that scene where she, you can see her without saying anything, oh my god, like, everything makes so much sense now, (laughs) like... This is crazy. It is really cool to me. So while no, none of the scenes are perfect, I do appreciate what they were going for in terms of him trying to balance it. And like what you're saying, I agree with that. The dynamic of everybody in the city loves Spider-Man, except the people that are in his or that are in Peter Parker's life don't really love him because he's never around. Like, I like that. I just think in order for it to really balance out, we don't have enough of Spider-Man showing up sure. and saving everyday, like being involved in everyday lives of New Yorkers. I think that's why I like you know, can we, if we want to jump into that, I think that's why I like two the best. It's he's more established at the beginning of that one, and I guess he is more established as Peter Parker handling all of this crap. He's working at the pizza place, but then you get some cool scenes with him turning into Spider Man and swinging and getting the pizza again. Um, I really like the beginning of two a lot, and then establishing uh, Doc Ock, and then the whole dynamic between Ock and Harry, and trying to you know get spider-man to harry I th- there's a lot more of him in that would you say austin the beginning of two i think is really great i even yeah. have it in my notes like this is such a step up from all of spider-man one and i actually really like the harry dynamic in spider-man 2 the best um the fact that he's put in this position of power despite we know from the first one that he's not a very smart guy like his dad it's just like a shareholder thing it's a business arrangement kind of i think it's super cool him putting all of his eggs into the basket of Doc Ock, I think, is really fascinating. And the culmination to that, another example of what I talked about a second ago, which is like everybody in New York loves Spider-Man. A lot of people love Peter Parker, but not the people that know him best. And the scene, sure, while it is kind of soap opera cheesy, like we talked about earlier, the scene where Harry gets drunk at the gala and is just berating Peter and slapping him, I think it's really kind of powerful. It's like 
you understand what Harry's saying. Yes, he doesn't know for sure that Spider-Man killed his dad, but the fact that Peter is not telling him that and the fact that Peter is still taking pictures of Spider-Man for the Bugle because it gets him money, it's kind of fucked up. And you kind of get Harry's side. And the fact that Harry has kept it all bottled inside except for whenever he's drinking and now it's coming out is kind of like a fucked up scene that I'm like, that was really cool. And then that is immediately followed by... Mary Jane Watson and I are getting married. It's like another example of like, ah, Peter, come on, man. You could have handled this better. And it's like, it's handled kind of well. So I like, those are the elements that I like the best whenever shit is just happening so quickly. All these bad things. That scene is James Franco's best scene, I think, in the trilogy. I'd agree. I'd agree. How do you guys feel about the, um, like, Spider-Man action in these movies? Like the fight scenes. And one, I think it's pretty bad because it felt like all they could do was just have him, the villains and Spider-Man, just pick each other up and throw somebody into a wall. I think it gets a lot more creative in two and three. Yeah. Oh, one, yeah. One of my favorite action scenes in two is whenever uh, Doc Ock breaks into the bank and he has uh, Aunt May up on the top of the building. He's using the webs to get uh, to get him like momentum to swing up. It did, does not look the best, but <laughs> it was a cool scene. It's still great choreography. I mean, the, yeah. maybe even a better example for my personal taste is the train sequence in Spider-Man 2. Watching Doc Ock and Spider-Man fight alongside a moving train that is really moving. It's moving quick. Watching people having to react. Watching them fight on top of a train, then on the side of the train, and then getting shoved inside the train. Having to like move throughout, jump out windows, go back on top is really cool. I thought that was really enjoyable. I agree with Austin. I mean, the action in the first one is pretty lame by comparison. There are some fun montage moments when it comes to like using the webs and kind of taking out some bad guys, but nothing in terms of like actual action spectacle in terms of a sequence, like that train scene in Spider-Man 2, or even the ending of Spider-Man 3. It's fun to see Harry and Spider-Man team up. They definitely don't earn that moment, but there's some cool elements to it. But I think Spider-Man 2 is the best when it comes to the action. I do like the... um. And it's so apparent that they spent, like, all of their money in that first Sandman scene where he, like, is first becoming Sandman. He's, like, rising out of the sand. You see him having to, like, actually figure out how to use his powers, like, make his limbs a bit thicker with sand. Like, and then the rest of the movie, he's just a huge, like, sand monster that literally just grunts, like, oh, gets hit. And uh, that first scene where it's playing this beautiful music and like he's picking up, he's like figuring out how to use his fingers for the first time when he picks up the locket. It's like, wow, like is Sandman about to be a really great villain? No, <laughs> absolutely not. It's like uh, they blew their budget on that one early. I like the scene whenever Topher or I mean, sorry, Eddie Brock. <laughs> I wish the character was named Topher as well. <laughs> Do you like his frosted tips? Oh, oh, I definitely like those. <laughs> Some douchey. Um, the scene where Eddie Brock asks uh, Sandman to be with him. I hate Spider-Man. You uh, hate Spider-Man. Interested? I hate that scene so much. <laughs> I have major issues with Tobey Maguire's face. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, the good thing about that is we know, despite Tobey Maguire, in my opinion, and it sounds like Keith's opinion, ability to play a nerd and, you know, just kind of like an awkward guy in general, from every single story that has ever come out, every single <laughs> just report about Tobey Maguire is that he is one of the worst people in Hollywood. He is 
a oh, really? garbage human being, an asshole, really mean. So it, it sounds like we can hate his face because it sounds like pretty much everybody that's worked with him <laughs> also does. He's like a garbage person. So we've talked a lot about Peter and MJ. I mean, I I agree with what Austin said. I don't think they gave MJ much interesting stuff to do. I do appreciate, I will say that, um, that Spider-Man 3 does try and tackle like a real relationship issues. The whole idea of ego and like understanding how somebody feels does not mean... I feel the same way. It's all good. Move on. Get back on the horse. I think that stuff is actually important and interesting, and they kind of follow it throughout the movie in a cool way. And I like that Spider-Man 3 doesn't end in necessarily a good place. It's like, we're not back together. We're not getting married. It's just we're embracing like what happened to us earlier was really fucked up, but maybe we can move on. Maybe we don't. I I appreciate that stuff. Um, Where the movies kind of fail for me, though, is... The hairy side of things, I was talking with Keith the other night. I feel like I saw Spider-Man 2 in theaters for my ninth birthday party, dude. And when they revealed at the end of that, the cliffhanger of Harry finds the goblin lair, I was like, oh my God. In that sweet, sweet suit. What is going to happen? I'm so excited. And then three starts, and he has one action sequence that looks weird. And then he gets amnesia for all of the movie until the end (laughs) where his butler has to tell him that, guess what? I knew this entire time that Spider-Man didn't kill your father. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you now. And then he's like, I'm going to go help my friends. It's not good. James Franco, who is a good actor, like, I think he's pretty wasted in these movies. So I would have loved to see like an actual villain arc for him. I was reading that there were plans to, like, I'm going to put out, like, a $10 million bounty on Spider-Man. And then that kind of turns the city against him, too, which I think would have been pretty interesting. But it's like we said earlier, uh, Keith, you mentioned it. It's like if you take, if you do what Sam Raimi wanted and you take Venom out of the movie, that also effectively takes the black suit Spider-Man out of the movie. Then your villains are Harry and Sandman. I feel like they really could have had, based on how much black suit Spider-Man and Venom we get in this movie... You probably would have gotten 45 minutes to an hour to, like, build out the Harry arc and Sandman, which we desperately needed in Spider-Man 3. And if they had taken out Venom, maybe Spider-Man 3 could have been better for that reason. Well, on that note, Matt, you mentioned all the villains there. Is there a favorite villain, a standout villain for this trilogy? Yes, there is, Austin. I'm glad you asked. I think my favorite villain in terms of... The character journey, the person we see pre-becoming a villain, the person we see after realizing the error of their ways, the performance along the way, the action sequences, all that fun stuff. It's not a hot take. I think most people agree. I'm curious what you guys think. But I got to go, my boy, Alfred Molina as Doc Gawk. I like the intro. I like his ending where he sacrifices himself. He defies the arms that are talking to him, which I think is really cool. And then his action sequences, I really enjoy. So I'm going to go Doc Ock, I think. Yeah, I think Doc Ock uh, has a better like story and, and probably more interesting motivations than Green Goblin does in Spider-Man 1. I do think the performance of Willem Dafoe, though, is more fun than Alfred Molina. It's hard to overlook that, yeah. 
Yeah, I might go Green Goblin and then a very, very close second, Doc Ock. I, Green Goblin is definitely creepy, especially when he's laughing throughout the house. I love it. I love it. I do hate that costume, though, especially so that you can bad. see Willem Dafoe's mouth moving Why do behind they do that? the mouthpiece. Why do they do that? <laughs> My favorite line is whenever uh, it seems like there's going to be a cool scene where uh, uh, JJ doesn't give up Peter as his source for taking pictures of Spider-Man. It's like, oh, that's cool. And then Goblin shows up and Peter's like, all right, Goblin, stand down. <laughs> and Willem Dafoe just... Puts out his arms, sleep. <laughs> like hits him with gas. Yeah. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> that gas looks terrible, too. It awful. <laughs> so bad. Keith, what about you? Where are you leaning? Are Willem, they go in Alfred, or Keith, and perhaps the biggest twist of all time? Is there a better Spider-Man villain than those two? Sandman. No, not Sam. Bernard. I think I like Doc Ock's story better. Then goblins, um, just overall and number two, but goblins a little bit more evil than Doc Ock. Yeah, I think it's a tie for me. I can't choose. All right, Keith. Well, then I'm gonna have to force you to do something that nobody expected. If you're gonna choose them as a tie, that's fine. That's fine. I get it. But I will have to ask you to choose the best of the worst. Is Sandman, Venom, or Harry as the Goblin better? You have to choose the best of the worst. I think I'll probably go with uh, with Frosted Tips Boy, Old Topher. Old Topher. Venom. <laughs> old Topher. What a weird name. <laughs> All right. So, my friends, next time we get together to talk about Spider-Man, it will be to talk about Andrew Garfield, of course, and Tom Holland after that. But the thing we have to end here with is that there was a Spider-Man 4 with Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, and Kirsten Dunst coming back. I don't know about you guys, uh, Keith, maybe more so you, since you are watching these films more, kind of like me, but in 2011, Spider-Man 4 was announced, like, publicly. Like, we're making this movie, here's who's coming back, and here's a teaser poster. Go on Google, everybody listening. You can find the poster of Spider-Man 4. Like, it's a real thing that they were going to do, and it's crazy the fact that it doesn't happen, that doesn't happen super often. Here's what we know about it. In 2007, right after Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 4 entered development, with Raimi attached to direct and Maguire, Dunst, and other cast members set to reprise their roles. Both a fourth and a fifth film were planned, and at the time, the idea of shooting the two sequels at the same time was being considered. Raimi then said in March 2009 that only the fourth film was in development, and the idea was if that was successful, the fifth and sixth would be shot back-to-back, meaning they were legitimately considering doing another trilogy. David Kep, the guy that wrote the first one, was brought in to write this one. That script was rewritten by Pulitzer-winning playwright, I saw, David Lindsay Abair, in November 2008, and rewritten again for the third time by Gary Ross in 2009. That's a bad sign. Bad sign, it's I agree with you. bad sign if you can't get the script right. Yeah. They also brought them in to write Spider-Man 5 and 6. Here's where things get a bit more interesting in regards to the plot, though. Raimi expressed interest which I think kind of makes sense, in portraying the transformation of Dr. Kurt Connors into his villainous alter ego, the Lizard, a villain which had been teased in Spider-Man 2. Dylan Baker played Kurt Connors in Spider-Man 2 and 3, so Raimi was considering having him trying to fix the fact that he only had one arm, which would, of course, turn him into Lizard as he does in the comics. But the main villain, guys, the main villain 
We talked him out of it a little bit because he was almost cast as Norman Osborn. In December 2009, John Malkovich was in negotiations to play the Vulture. And Ooh. Anne Hathaway was brought in to play Felicia Hardy, more commonly known as Black Cat. Oh, that's a good casting. Yeah, She'd I thought that good. was pretty cool. Kind of interesting that she ended up playing very shortly Cat afterward Woman. Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, so I think that would have been really cool. But then kind of very quickly and infamously out of nowhere, again, there are interviews with Tobey Maguire talking about, yeah, they announced Spider-Man 4, can't wait, We're really excited to be back. All of a sudden, Sony Pictures announced in January 2010 that plans for Spider-Man 4 had been canceled because Sam Raimi withdrew from the project. Raimi reportedly ended his participation due to his doubt that he could meet the planned May 6, 2011 release date, while at the same time upholding the film creatively. Apparently, like we talked about, the fact that they did Spider-Man 3 and that was the first time where he felt that Sony was pushing back against his creative choices, he did not want that to happen again. So the fact that they couldn't find a script that he was happy about led to him leaving. And then Sony, instead of hiring somebody else, was like, you know what? Let's find fresh talent. Andrew Garfield just did Social Network. Let's bring him in. We'll bring Mark Webb in from 500 Days of Summer. We'll make a rebooted version of Spider-Man. And that became, of course, 2012's The Amazing Spider-Man. So I want to get your thoughts. Spider-Man 4, the cast coming back, John Malkovich's Vulture, um, Felicia Hardy, you got Black Cat, Anne Hathaway. Could have been cool. Also, in case you guys didn't notice, Keith, I think you'll appreciate this. There are storyboards that after cameoing in every film, Bruce Campbell would have been revealed to be the villain Mysterio in Spider-Man 4. The villain that Jake Gyllenhaal would eventually play years later in the MCU. So tons of interesting stuff there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stands out is Spider-Man 3 was heavily critiqued for having too many villains, too many stories to juggle. And it sounds like their plans for 4, 5, and 6 were, we're going to do even more. Yeah. I, I mean, the, their ideas and the characters they want to include sound really fun and interesting. I just don't know if this crew could have done it effectively since they didn't do it in 3. The stories sound kind of complicated, but the casting sounds really good. John Malkovich, I'm a big fan of him. Yeah, so the interesting thing for me is genuinely as big of a Spider-Man fan as I am, how much I love the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi version, I did not know, and apparently a lot of sources have reported on it, that there was another trilogy coming. I had, like I said, I had seen the teaser posters. Spider-Man 4 was a very real thing right after Spider-Man 3. Like, that was going to happen. The cast was coming back. But the fact that they were planning, like, a very interconnected Spider-Man 5 and 6 to close out that trilogy was pretty interesting to me. So did that kind of resonate with you guys, the fact that they were planning on not only doing one more movie to potentially redeem Spider-Man 3, but to do even more stories? Would that have been good? Would it have been bad? Because that would have been going concurrent with the MCU at the time, if we think That's about that. That's what I was going to say. That would have been yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, that would have been really weird to have that be juxtaposed against what like the actual Marvel properties were trying to do. Because they tried for years to get Spider-Man into the MCU, and they finally did it with Tom Holland. So I wonder if they do 4, 5, and 6 as Tobey Maguire now in the MCU. I think he would be, like genuinely. Because doing, if you think about it, with Spider-Man, Sony gave Marvel the right to do it when it came time to do Civil War, but they were making the Andrew Garfield movies in between. So if Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6 had been successful, I guarantee that they just reveal in a movie randomly that Tobey Maguire, that version of Spider-Man is the same, you know, version of New York that you see in the MCU. So it would have been very different, you know, would have been an older Spider-Man for sure, but I think that's what we would have gotten. An older Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man coming into the MCU in what, 2018, whenever Tom Holland did? Like, 
that could have been an interesting dynamic. I love what we get with Tom Holland, though. Like, he's my favorite Spider-Man. So I'm glad what we have now, but it would have been interesting to see an older Spider-Man paired with everybody else. It sounds like, again, no confirmation, but it sounds like Tobey Maguire will be back for Spider-Man No Way Home. It sounds like Willem Dafoe will be showing up as Green Goblin. It sounds like Alfred Molina will be back as Doc Ock. Andrew Garfield, too. Yeah. Do you think like a Spider-Verse-esque mentor relationship, maybe that's what they're, I don't even know if that's what they're going for, but I guess my point is, does Tobey Maguire interacting with Tom Holland as Spider-Man, does that interest you after watching these movies or does it? like make you less interested after not loving these films. Actually, I'm interested in it because I want to see what Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man looks like with the MCU budget behind it. I am hoping that they do find a way to somehow introduce Miles Morales. Maybe not in this one, but since they are doing the Spider-Verse, I would be I would love to see that on screen. My, I guess my only thing there is Tom Holland might be too young to be in that like mentor role for Miles Morales in the MCU. I'm just excited to see Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina back. I yeah. think it's going to be, be better. really cool. Really cool. <laughs> that trailer, that first trailer, Austin and I talked about it. Keith, I know you're not a Ugh. big uh, trailer guy. Not a great trailer for me personally, but it still brings a lot of exciting questions to the forefront. So that's what I'm more excited about is the potential. Um, but the fact of Tobey Maguire coming back, I love him. So I want to see it. For some reason, I'm more excited to see Andrew Garfield, and I don't know why. Because I haven't seen those movies. I don't remember anything from those movies, but I, I guess I'm excited about the fact of him getting another shot. Well, Austin, thank you so much. Perfect segue. What are your expectations? Because we are going to do a quick similar review to this. We are going to talk about the two Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films. What are your guys' expectations for those? Like I mentioned earlier, I've only seen each of them once, and it was in theaters. So... I remember not loving them. I'm I'm excited to watch them again and hopefully get new perspective, but I don't know what to expect. Do you guys have anything in particular you're looking forward to? I think we're all going to like one a bit more than how it was received at the time, but I, I don't think we're going to like two. Yeah. I remember not liking two at all. I think especially coming off of these movies, I think I'm really going to like one. Yeah, I have a feeling I'm not going to be as annoyed with Peter and Gwen Stacy's relationship that I would that I was with um, Mary Jane and Tobey Maguire. Do we have to watch Uncle Ben die again in these movies? Yeah, Martin Short. We get to watch him die as Uncle Ben. All right. Excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Before our outro, of course, we have to give some awards. This has been the hardest award I've ever had to give because I have so many ideas. <laughs> I have so many. Um, but who wants to start? Keith, Austin, you guys have any ideas for an award? Anything you're feeling particularly passionate about? I've got an award. And it's going to go to Mr. Topher Grace. And it's the... Bring a parka award, because these frosted tips are so cold, you're going to need a parka. <laughs> nice. Got him. <laughs> nice. He needs a parka because you burned him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keith, what you got? What you got? This award I had picked out almost before we even started watching. This is an award we already had on the show in our John Wick oh. series. Oh. The Tobey Maguire Fall Award is going to who? Tobey Maguire. It has to. Ah, my my back. Sea biscuit. Ah, sea biscuit. Oh, damn horse. <laughs> my back, Jake Gyllenhaal. Come replace me. I need more money. <laughs> <laughs> I need fourteen more million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give the worst play of the game award to my dearest friend, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. We mentioned it earlier. He was playing things real straight. He was playing it right by trying to kill Peter, trying to have his glider impale him in the back. But he just didn't play it right 
long enough. You know, he was like, I'm your father, Peter. Oh, the goblin made me do it. And then all of a sudden, it just cuts to his face like, God's beats, brother man. <laughs> it's like, ah, Gobby, you got to just wait a second, not say that line, and your glider's going right through him. You would have won. Don't have to tell Harry because you're still alive, my man. You're still alive. What if that one just ended with Spider-Man getting impaled? He gives the suit to Harry, but Harry doesn't have any power, so he just immediately falls. Oh, shit. Wait, is that the what if, Keith? What if Willem Dafoe had carried Peter's body back to Peter and Harry's apartment and set his body down, but Harry's there, and he goes, what have you done? And then randomly finds a gun in a near, like a near cabinet <laughs> and tries to shoot him. And now it's the rest of the trilogy is... James Franco dons the Spider-Man suit. But Holy it still shit. has the holes from where Peter Parker was impaled. And this, the title of the sequel is Goblin in 60 Seconds. And because it has the holes, you can just see James Franco's nipples the whole time <laughs> that he's swinging around. Oh, my God. My dream. <laughs> and his lip gloss is putting back on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to be clear, he has more lip gloss in this version. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, so much for listening. So many great conversations. I love it. If you enjoy this episode and the series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. really helps us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. And guys, this is an exciting one. We'll be back on Tuesday with the start of the spooky season with a review of James Wan's return to horror, Malignant. Spoiler alert, I've already watched it. And the main question we're going to have to ask ourselves during this review is, is this brilliant or just really fucking stupid? So look forward to that, I think. I have not heard good things about that one. Um, on another note, we're excited for Spooky Season. It's going to be really fun this year. Um, in addition to Malignant, we've also got Midnight Mass coming up, the latest from Mike Flanagan. We're going to binge the whole season and talk about it on the show. And also, Matt and I have been playing through Deathloop, so this month's episode of Co-op Couch will be a review of the latest game from Arcane Studios, Deathloop. Lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram, at the Arnie's. Send us your favorite movie of 2021. Let us know your thoughts on the Spider-Man films. Which is your favorite? Have you been liking What If so far? And have you watched Malignant yet? Be sure to let us know. Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right. Everybody have a great week. Go and watch the Spider-Man trilogy again. If you watch it with us, go watch it for a third time. I don't care. They're the greatest movies of all time. I know my friend Austin agrees with me. And with that, uh, my back. Peter, stop playing with your Peter. Happy to pay the bills, Otto. <laughs> <laughs>